This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Well, good Thursday afternoon, everybody. This is On Target on your VOCM. I'm Ben Murphy, not Linda Swain, as you can probably tell, but sitting in as your guest host, as Linda does enjoy some well-earned vacation time. You'll have her back on the program next week. But this afternoon, we're talking municipalities, and joining us to do just that is Craig Pollitt, the outgoing CEO of municipalities in Newfoundland and Labrador. Pollitt is retiring from the position at the end of 2020. 20 after or 2022 after more than 20 years craig pollitt joins me now on on target craig good afternoon and thanks for joining me good afternoon great to be here thanks for having me so i guess first off let's jump right in you're retiring at the end of the year why did you feel now was the right time oh a whole bunch of factors i mean i think a lot of people after the last couple of years are sort of you know, reimagining where they want to go with their lives. <laughs> but in my case, there was a couple key things. I knew, I mean, I started this job when I was quite young. I was 32, I think, something like that, uh, and have been CEO since, you know, the day I arrived. So it's it's the only job I've done here. And I've had a tremendous time doing it. I've had a lot of fun. It's been, you know, really challenging uh, and really exciting and really fulfilling. But I knew at some point I wanted to do something else before I really retire, you know, officially retire. And I'm 54 now, so I'm thinking, okay, my window to do that something else is probably going to close pretty quickly in the next five, six years. So if I figured if I don't go now, maybe I won't get a chance to do that extra thing. So that's one reason. Uh, one of the big reasons also that went along with that is M&L is in a good spot right now. M&L is in a good place. And not only are we in a good place, you know, the organization is healthy, some of our advocacy issues are really getting traction and we're, we're getting some, some things happening, and the members are, are in a good place with us. But we've come to the end of a couple sort of long-term arcs of projects we've been working on. So you know, we, we ended up uh, buying a new building. We're in a, a new building that we got just before the pandemic started. We restructured our staff, and we've got some incredible staff here with some amazing skills now. Uh, we went through sort of a financial reorganization, and we're, we're very, very healthy financially now. And we're putting together a brand-new strategic plan. It's We're at a point now where several new long-term projects are going to start. And in our business, in the advocacy world, in the membership world, some of these things will take five to ten years to come to fruition. And I thought, you know, it's this is probably a good point for me to step back. I'm very happy with the work we've done. I'm very happy with the work I've done here. Maybe there's an opportunity for somebody to start these new arcs, these new projects, rather than me get halfway through them and then say goodbye. So there was a few things like that that uh, that helped me make my decision, but very difficult decision, but at the same time, easiest decision I ever made in my life. Greg, can you tell us about some of those upcoming arcs or, or projects that could be starting in the near future? Yeah, there's there's some thoughts around, well, there's, there's always policy things that we're working on. So fiscal stability of the, organiza- of, uh, the sector, how municipalities raise revenue, um, the kind of funding that they have available to them to do the things that they need to do, that residents need them to do. 
that's always been a focus of ours, and we were quite successful a few years ago. Um, we did a campaign around fiscal stability within the sector. We got the province to commit to $25 million a year of extra funding to the sector. But we're really starting a conversation now about not just the amount of money that goes into the sector, but how is that money raised and who controls it? And what are what's the best ways? What are the best revenue tools, tax tools, non-tax tools that the municipal sector should have access to um, so that they are sustainable in the long run? And what does that mean in terms of a relationship with the province? So there's research starting now. We're collaborating with the, the other municipal associations in Atlantic Canada on that, actually. And that that's a big piece. That is a multi-year sort of research and analysis advocacy piece that needs to happen. The regional government discussion is going to shift to a new gear soon. Uh, I was part of the working group with the provincial government and our provincial municipal administrators association. We wrote the recommendations that the government is looking at now. At some point, the government's going to decide on a way forward. And that's going to start a new chapter in that discussion. Um, and that's going to take a few years. Uh, it's going to take a few years to come to agreement on where we need to go. Then it's going to take a few years to actually do what we agree needs to be done. So that's a multi-year project. And then there's also, um, we've been talking for a few years now, and the board is, and our organization is quite solid behind this idea that we really need um, an infrastructure plan for the municipal sector. Uh, the municipal sector spends millions, hundreds of millions of dollars a year on infrastructure, building it, maintaining it. Um, the province is a funder of that. The federal government are a funder of that. And we really have no comprehensive plan that says, here's the kind of infrastructure we need to fund uh, over the next 20 years. Here's how we're going to take care of it. Um, here's how we're going to fund it, which is a, a big, big deal. So there's a big push on our end to work with our federal and provincial partners to put together that comprehensive plan so that everybody understands how that system is working and where it's going and the role they're going to play in it. And that's absolutely critical. You know, the provincial government right now does not have an excess of cash. Municipal governments certainly don't have an excess of cash. So if we're going to spend money on infrastructure, if we're going to spend public money on municipal infrastructure, we need to know exactly why we're doing it, where we're doing it, how we're doing it. So that's just – that's a few of them. There's, there's lots more going on, but as there always is. We're speaking with Craig Pollitt, CEO of Municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador. And Craig, there's a lot of questions I do have from that answer that we will get to throughout the hour. But I do just want to go back and, and focus on you again and, and your career and ask, you know, once we do get to the end of 2022, do you have any plans for what's next for you? Nothing solid, to be honest. I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm still interested in um, how governments talk to one another. I'm still interested in helping communities or helping organizations any way I can. So there could be some consulting that I do. There could be who knows what the how it'll happen. Um, but I, I won't be doing nothing. I'll say that. I still have a few months to figure out all of that. But I, I, I can't see myself walking away entirely from the kind of work I do right now. It's just more a matter of do I do it at M&L? Do I do it on a smaller scale? Uh, that's the kind of questions that I'm sort of asking myself at the moment. What are some of the highlights for you from your two decades as CEO? 
Oh my gosh, um, there's a lot. The growth of the organization, um, and I don't mean growth as in getting bigger, although the organization did get bigger sort of financially. We have more resources at our disposal now. Uh, we don't receive any core funding from the provincial or federal governments. We're entirely membership funded, which means we have a lot of freedom in what we do. Uh, that was a hard fought battle over the last 20 years to make sure that we got to a place where we are truly independent and can speak our mind. Uh, I think building up the research capacity of MNL uh, was a was a big, big piece of the strategy we had, and I, something I'm quite proud of. Um, we have two PhDs on staff at MNL, and I would put our research capacity up against anybody, any organization, provincial government or otherwise. Um, we're, we're very, very good at doing the research, doing the analysis recommending policy. And um, so when we go to the provincial or federal governments or when we go to anybody, we don't necessarily go with complaints, although sometimes we have complaints, we go with solutions. And I'm quite proud of the fact that over the last 20 years, we've changed the organization to that mode. Um, we have, I think, raised the expectation of the sector about what should be done to support them. Um, we've done a lot. We, we have many, many services, too many to mention here, that uh, help municipal councils every day. Their offices, the councils, the staff get their work done. That grew quite a lot over the last 20 years. But we've pushed some big, big issues. I mentioned you know, the fiscal framework work we did back in about 2015. Uh, that, was, that was a very big piece of work. A lot of research went into that. And like I said, it ended up with $25 million a year going into the sector, that still goes in today. It's every year forever. Uh, we have brand new legislation coming soon, getting the province to a point where they realized they needed to replace our really, like our legislation is older than me, older than my time at MNL. It was brought in in 1999, um, oldest municipal legislation in the country. And not only are they replacing it, but they're replacing it with what we call enabling legislation. So we're going from a place where the act was written as if municipalities were almost helpless and needed permission to do everything to a point where uh, the legislation is now enabling legislation. Essentially, it'll say, look, as long as you're not breaking any provincial laws or doing something that only we can do, you do what you need to do to make your community whole and serve your residents. Um, so there's... A lot of that stuff, moving these things, it takes quite a while, but those are – you cannot underestimate the impact that something like that new legislation is going to have on today's councils and councils into the future. It'll, it'll change the face of municipal government. And I wanted to ask as well, and you did speak to this a little bit there just a few minutes ago, but you led staff through the development of this new strategic plan to guide the organization and the members through the next few years. What can you tell us about that work? So that was a fascinating piece of work, um, if only because we started it in late 2019. So we had a couple meetings with our board of directors. We did a bit of research. We started really kicking into gear on it. And then, of course, the pandemic happened. So we pivoted. We the, Our organization changed our focus entirely. We were going from sort of a much more strategic viewpoint in terms of the issues we were working on to – quite literally day-to-day -day answering phone calls from councils who were responding to all the changes that came down uh, because of the pandemic and could they have their offices open and could they put staff out in the field and all that sort of thing. Uh, but the strategic plan 
is there, there's a couple of focuses for it. One is we've always been an organization that focuses quite closely on the municipal experience. Obviously, our members are municipalities, uh, and we've had a, quite a tight focus on munis- you know, dealing with municipal issues, issues relating to the act and regulations and the experience of municipalities, and we've been very successful at doing that. What was really interesting in the strategic planning process and is now coming out in the strategic plan is that we're focusing more. I mean, we're still going to maintain that core competency, that, that core work that we do, but we recognize that many of our members are also looking for help on things that are not necessarily municipal, not in their jurisdiction necessarily, but they're important to their community. So things like policing and healthcare and transit and economic development, these are things that municipal leaders need to respond to because their residents are looking for answers from them, even though those things aren't necessarily a municipal jurisdiction or a municipal role. Uh, they still have that leadership role. So we've been shifting gears a little to make sure that we can support our members on doing that sort of work and responding to issues. So we're connecting them. The the, uh, Health Accord NL process was a good example where we really went out of our way to make sure that our members were engaged in that process and had as much information as possible, had as many opportunities as possible to express their voice. We're helping them. uh, We're hoping to help them and, and in terms of another aspect of our strategic plan, we're hoping to expand our reach in terms of staffing to help them with economic development and to have field staff out there working with councils who really want to do something on economic development but don't have the capacity internally uh, to do it. We're doing research um, on transit right now, public transit, and how that impacts rural economic development or rural services across the province because these things are important to mayors and councillors. Their residents are talking to them about them. They need support on it, so we're going to be providing some of that support. And why is it so important for municipalities to be involved in conversations like those around public transit and and the health accord? Well, they're the voice of the community, right? Um, It's the first order of government. You hear that phrase all the time in the sector. No matter where you go in Canada, uh, somebody will say, You need to talk to municipalities. They're the first order of government. They are the government closest to the people. And that really is, it sounds like a bit of a cliche, but there's so much import in that. And it's so real that uh, you almost, you can't and you shouldn't be making policy decisions that affect communities or regions without talking to the municipal leaders of those communities and those regions. They have their pul- their finger on the pulse of what's happening in the community. Not only that, they have their finger on the pulse of the broad scope of things that's happening in their community. There's lots of really amazing um, sort of issue-specific NGOs and not-for-profits out there who are really adept at speaking to their particular issue. Um, municipal councils are a different sort of beast. They are responsible for sort of the general health and welfare of the community. And because of that, they're in touch with a lot of what's happening in the community. And they're elected officials. I think this is something that we can't lose sight of. It's important for policymakers to talk to municipal leaders about issues that are important to their community because these are the folks who were elected to speak on behalf of the community and to make decisions on behalf of the community. 
it's they're not uh, a, an appointed chair of a volunteer thing. They were elected by Universal Franchise to represent people, uh, and that's an important part or should be an important part of how our democracy functions. So if for no reason other than that, it's really important for people to speak to municipal leaders before they make decisions that affect those communities and those regions. We're going to take our first break of the afternoon here on VOCM on Target. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation with Municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador CEO Craig Pollard. We'll be right back after these. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. Hey, welcome back to the show. Ben Murphy sitting in for Linda Swain today on On Target. Hope Linda's having a great week of vacation we can't wait to have her back next week. But we're going to continue our conversation with municipalities, Newfoundland and Labrador CEO, Craig Pollitt. And Craig, I just want to start by asking you about what are some of the biggest challenges facing municipalities across our province right now? Well, there's, there's a few threads that run through the challenges. One is around fiscal stability. I mentioned a few minutes ago that uh, back in 2015, we had some good success in getting some money into the sector. Uh, and that was you know that was wonderful it was, it was it was great to see but it's not enough uh the municipal system really does need more resources uh and not just more money i mean it certainly needs more money everybody needs more money but the municipal system you know objectively needs more resources to do the work it's supposed to be doing one of the things though that we want to start talking about is not just the amount of money but how that money arrives so right now, for example, if a municipality wants uh, access to funding for infrastructure, well, number one, very few municipalities, if any, have enough money to do their own infrastructure work on their own. There are entire provincial programs and federal programs that do nothing but provide extra money to municipalities for infrastructure, pipes, roads, bridges, that sort of thing, because nowhere in the country do municipalities have enough money to do this on their own with their own cash. But the way most of the systems work is a competition, essentially. You submit your proposals, and then the provincial and federal governments pick the ones that uh, they want to invest in, and that's who gets the money. We can't, we can't keep doing it that way. I mean, we, we don't ask uh, other critical services to put in proposals trying to compete with one another for resources. And in our sector, the federal government does have one program, the um, Canada Community Building Fund, used to be called the gas tax. It has nothing to do with the gas tax, by the way. It's, it was just a bad name. But that particular fund gives, based on population and a, and a certain floor amount that everybody gets, it provides resources directly to municipalities. They just need to say how they're going to generally spend their infrastructure money over the next five years or so. And the money goes straight to the municipalities. It goes through the province because the feds can't give money directly to municipalities. But then the municipality gets to manage that money in a way that works for them. And we'd really like to see all funding work that way. Um, towns have grown up over the last 50 years, and they can do these things on their own. Lots of municipalities have way more capacity than they used to, uh, especially some of the larger ones. But this funding approach where we're making municipalities compete against one another for a too small pool of funding just isn't working. 
And we know that uh, right across the province, most municipal offices have a single staff person. I think it's something like 75% have one staff person. So when people talk about municipal governments as if they are really well-resourced and have lots of cash and should be doing all these things, that's not the case in most municipalities. They have typically a part-time clerk, somebody who works two or three days a week. We can't keep running communities like this. There are environmental challenges. There are uh, demographic challenges coming. There are financial challenges coming. We can't expect these people uh, to keep responding to these big, big challenges with so few resources. Infrastructure is a big challenge. Um, We did a, a study a few years ago on drinking water systems in the province and found out that about almost 50%, I think it was 43% of municipal drinking water systems are beyond their expected life. So that's not the places who are still expanding their drinking water. That's the pipes and the pumps and and the treatment systems that are already built. Almost half of them, uh, I'm saying six or eight years ago, could be more, were already beyond their expected life. The cost to replace those, not expand the system, not provide clean drinking water where we don't have it, the cost to simply replace what is wearing out was $430 million. Uh, We've got wastewater regulations from the federal government that are going to cost municipalities in this province somewhere in the area of six or $700 million uh, to come to compliance with. These are, that's just the building cost. Then we need to run all this stuff. So there is no cost sharing. There is no federal provincial provincial funding to help a municipality maintain and run their infrastructure. So once we spend that $430 million to build all the drinking water systems, once we spend that $700 million to build all the wastewater treatment facilities, we don't have staff to run them. Uh, but municipalities don't have any extra cash to maintain those systems. So they've got to find that money to maintain those systems. That is a massive challenge, just getting it built and running it. And I guess I would phrase it as what we talk about internally is future-proofing the sector. Uh, we have, you know, challenges are getting bigger. And, and that's true for all governments. It's not just a municipal thing. The challenges in healthcare are getting bigger for the provincial government. Um, but challenges are getting bigger for municipalities. Their capacity to respond is already below what it should be, just with the challenges they're facing today. There's a a challenge in terms of being able to access enough technical staff, professional staff to do the work. There's a challenge in getting the design work done that needs to get done. As I mentioned earlier, there's a challenge getting people to run the water systems and run the wastewater systems. And then on the governance side, we are slowly running out of councillors. Every time we have a municipal election, we just squeak by uh, with just barely enough people running. We always have numerous councils who don't have enough people running, so they might get three or four people running for five seats or five or six people running for seven seats. Uh, But we're talking... You know, very high percentages, something like 70% of elections uh, or 70% of councils don't actually require a contested election because there's not enough people running in the town 
to require an election process. They're getting seven people for seven seats or five people for five seats. Um, we had some success recently in terms of getting uh, more women to run and getting more interest from uh, people of color and people who are underrepresented just in general on councils. And we need to work really, really hard on that because that should be a source of increases in terms of the number of people on council. We need more perspectives, more inclusive perspectives on council. Um, but we just, in, in addition to that, we just need more people. We are literally running out of councillors. And if we can't fill these seats into the future, that's going to create a challenge in terms of local governance. Yeah, and on that note, I'm really glad you brought that up because I just wanted to ask about, you know, why do you think the numbers are lower or, or how much has the role of a town or city councillor changed even just over your time at MNL? Oh, it's it, so there's probably multiple things happening. Uh, and I mean, it's probably different for every individual who decides, no, I'm not running this year or I can't finish this term. I know, generally speaking, what I hear from councillors in the sector is the 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 technical challenges they're facing, the regulatory requirements, the financial strain, it's just too much. Uh, with their background and their experience, with the time they have on their hands, um, with the, the lack of um, sort of technical staff that they have, uh, they have amazing administrative staff. Don't get me wrong. There's some fabulous people working in the sector. We just don't have enough, and we don't have enough sort of planners and engineers and technical folks. It's just getting really, really hard because all of those regulatory requirements, the growing impact of climate change and environmental impacts on councils, the very, very immediate, very real costly impact of uh, climate change, is all of that is growing. And 20 years ago, nobody on council would have thought that they would really be deep in the weeds on some of these really massive issues. And today they are. And they're not equipped to deal with the system. It's not, it's not that they're not equipped as individuals. The system is not equipped to deal with it. Um, and again, with a lot of walks of life, the changes that have come because of social media uh, people have instant access to counselors, to staff. Uh, the world, to be quite honest, seems to have gotten a little angrier than it used to be. Uh, that anger is more immediate. It's more targeted. And every event that we have, one of the main topics of conversation is the abuse that municipal officials take uh, mm -hmm. from people who just haven't either – they have one issue with the council – and they decide they're going to lodge a campaign against that camp, uh, that council, um, or there's some sort of dysfunctional relationship there. But it is it's constant. It's it's very hard to sort of step back from that sort of thing. So that that's I think what's driving a lot of the. And of course, there's the baby boomers as a group are starting to pull back from that sort of thing, and there is fewer people behind them to take their spots.
Yeah, all those points make perfect sense, Craig. And I mean, you see that kind of abuse online, you know, whether it's it's here in St. John's or elsewhere across the province almost every single day. We're going to take another break here on VOCM on Target. When we come back, we continue this conversation with Municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador CEO Craig Pollitt. We'll be right back. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Welcome back to the show. Ben Murphy sitting in for Linda Swain today on VOCM on Target. We're speaking with Municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador CEO Craig Pollitt. And Craig, I went on a little bit too long in that first segment, so our last two segments are going to be a bit shorter, but I do want to talk about regionalization. You've done a lot of work yeah. over the last couple of decades to realize a long-standing municipalities NL goal of working with the provincial government to introduce framework for a regional local government. So what would that framework for a local, regional local government look like? Well, we put forward recommendations, and the recommendations we put forward look a lot like what they do in BC, um, that municipalities would collectively come together, uh, create a board or an entity that could provide services to them in the region and provide local government uh, services to communities that are not in municipalities to really try to share the cost of some of the things that communities can't do individually right now. So the idea is not to form another order of government or some separate order of government or anything like that. There's no big bureaucracy at play here. The idea is for communities in the region to be able to collaborate effectively to make sure that fire services and emergency planning, which is so important we're seeing right now, um, help with their drinking water systems, that sort of thing, can all be done within the region. And it's these are services that we know for a fact that a lot of these individual municipalities can't do on their own. So, you know, what it's going to look like in any particular region, we were recommending that each region sort of get to design their own system uh, for the most part, that, you know, there'd be sort of guide rails to keep everybody on a similar path, but each region would get to decide what they want this to look like for themselves. And at the end of the day, what we want are sustainable communities. We're not looking for a lot of extra bureaucracy. We just want to make sure that some of these essential services, planning services and maintaining infrastructure, we want to make sure they're done in a sustainable way. And we're really hoping that, you know, the province has our recommendations. They've done a consultation on it. They're working on their, you know, their response now. Um, Something has to happen. I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt when you look at the demographic trends facing the province. Uh, in fact, you only have to look at demographics alone. Um, we cannot continue to run the system the way we're running it now. We need some sort of regionalized approach. Uh, otherwise, you're going to start to see individual communities really start to suffer and services not be provided and people go without. And this is not, you know, I've heard people in the past say, well, can we just let the system sort of erode naturally or, or can, you know, can municipal government sort of close up naturally? And I kind of laugh because we're not talking about natural systems. We're not talking about, um, you know, old growth, new growth forests and, and nature replacing, you know, reasserting itself. These are, are human designed structures to provide services and they, they won't simply fade away peacefully. If communities are, are left to you know on their own without some sort of regional support, their decline will be ugly and it'll be painful, and we we need to avoid that. 
Craig, do you get much pushback from any of the different municipalities around the province when it comes to this? I don't think any municipalities disagree with the broad approach uh, or the facts of the case, as you might say. Uh, I think there's a lot of debate within the sector around how far we need to go with it. So is it is it really, I mean, I think there are probably communities in this province who feel like we need a really strong county system like they have in Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia has double the population that we do easily. They only have 49 municipalities because most of them are regional municipalities. So there are people in the province who are arguing that we should jump straight to that. Uh, and then there are people who are arguing we need a sort of a softer form that really just responds to community needs. If, if a dozen municipalities in a region need a dog catcher or an animal control officer, maybe we need a regional committee or a regional board to deal with that. And, and I think that's, I mean, that's healthy. Debate in an organization, especially when you're talking about restructuring an order of government, you need that debate. Um, but we also need to be realistic about what can be done and what's sustainable. And uh, I think there's broad support that we need to move in the direction of what it might look like in any particular region or what a specific municipality believes it should look like. That probably varies quite a bit across the province. We're going to take our final break of the afternoon here on On Target. When we come back, we finish this conversation with Municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador CEO Craig Pollock.